uh, Matthew chapter 5. We finished up on the Beatitudes, and we're into a, a great section of Scripture uh, about being salt and light. It is the, uh, uh, th- this is the verse that the women's ministry used all year long about being salt and light. Right. So I timed it this way just to give honor to that ministry. See, see that? I, actually, I didn't. It, all, it was just, I was lucky. But um, I want to just real quickly review what we talked about last week about persecution it said blessed uh, are the uh, are uh, are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and what we talked about i, I don't have the notes up here uh, but we talked about four things about persecution and then what to do when we're persecuted so i want to go over those real quickly some persecution insights one satan does not want you to be effective he doesn't want you to be effective and so um uh when you're effective, you're destroying his kingdom. Okay, we, we've been talking all this time about two different kingdoms. When you're effective, you're destroying Satan's kingdom. And so Satan has these weapons that he uses, persecutions. And we, we read about it in Matthew, insults, uh, when people say all sorts of bad things about you. Uh, and then we also know physical persecution as well. Those are all the weapons of the, of the world, of Satan's kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. And so he uses those on us while we're effective. How are we effective? By being Christians who follow the Beatitudes. Poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, pure in heart, meek, peaceable. Okay? As we do that, we become effective Christians and we begin to do damage against Satan's kingdom. He gets upset and here comes persecution. And the, the thing we talked about was that our weapons define which kingdom we're fighting for. So you may be a believer, I may be a believer in Jesus Christ and I'm all fired up, but when I get home, I treat my wife with disrespect. We are arguing and insulting each other. We're using the weapons of Satan's kingdom. Evil has entered our household. Now we tend to think of evil as like, you know, you mean there's demons and like, you know, scary movie evil? No, it's just that those are the weapons we're using. The weapons of the kingdom are to be pure in heart, to be peacemakers. And our weapons define who we are. Then we talked about what do we do when we're persecuted? And we had four things. One was to see the kingdom struggle. Remember, when you're persecuted, it's not about you, and it's not about the person persecuting you. There's a kingdom struggle. Jesus said, when they persecute you, keep in mind they hated me first. It's about me, Jesus says. And it's about Satan and their battling. Second thing is, remember your reward. It says, blessed are, um, are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What a great eternal perspective to have when we're under persecution. If not, we, then it's all about entitlement, and that's not fair, and how dare they do that. And then the third thing was, don't be surprised if you're persecuted. The scriptures say it's going to happen. Paul told Timothy, listen, for anyone who wants to be a godly uh, person, you will be persecuted. Period. Don't be surprised by it. Sometimes people get all freaked out and they said it was so unfair. Whatever. It's, it's in there. It's going to happen as we live godly lives. And then fourthly, rejoice. Rejoice when you're persecuted. Again, it's, an, it's the exact opposite of the kingdom of the world. The kingdom of heaven says rejoice. So we talked about that. Now this week... I want to talk about Merry Xmas. Merry Xmas. Now, I'm probably going to offend some of you in this sermon, and I forgive you for that, okay? 
I forgive you that, you're, that you don't have thick skin and that, that you get easily offended. So I just want you to know that, that I'm that type of person, very forgiving. But let's go to this next slide. Like that? That's supposed to be you are the X factor, okay? I love Christmas time, and, and again, if you're this person, I apologize. I'm really, seriously, I, I don't, I'm not trying to come down on anyone. But there's always this, this, Christians get a little offended when it says Merry Xmas because you've got to put the Christ back in Christmas, and, and everyone wants to say Happy Holidays, and we run around, and Happy Holidays. No, it's Merry Christmas. You can't say Happy Holidays, right? So I, I, I got some of these things off the I- Internet here. There's the Merry Xmas mix, if you want an album. Uh, there's an Xmas sneaker sale at one of the places. You can save uh, uh, for an Xmas sale, and ho, 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 Merry Xmas. So what we're going to be talking about this morning is salt and light. If we want to put the Christ back in Christmas, we have to do it. It's us. It's not L.L. Bean, okay? If their catalog says Merry Xmas on it, we don't get all freaked out. I don't expect them to put Christ in Christmas. It's us. We are the salt. We are the light. We don't get offended by that. We don't do anything. We just shine the light of Jesus during the Christmas holidays. That's our job. We are part of that kingdom. And so what I want to talk about this morning is in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. It says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I want to talk about putting Christ back in Christmas. Your Christmas. My Christmas. So that everywhere I go this Christmas season... Whether it says Happy Holidays, Merry Christmas, uh, Merry Xmas, whatever. What I bring into that situation is Christ. It's not dependent on anything else other than me and my relationship with Jesus. So the first thing I want to talk about as kind of an intro real quickly is I'm going to be talking a lot about light and salt. And it's important for us to understand that God is the source of these things. God is the source. Because if we start getting, well, I need to be a better light. I need, we cannot manufacture that light. It comes from God. We talked about this with the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. We don't manufacture, or are merciful. We don't manufacture mercy. We receive it from God and we distribute it. It's the same with the light. God is the source. It says in 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we want more light in our lives, it's going to have to come from God. Matthew 4, 6, we talked about this. We're we're in Matthew. We're going through the book of Matthew. In 4, 16, it says, The people living in darkness have seen a great light. This is Jesus. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Our relationship with Christ is our source of light, and it's our source of saltiness. And then Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? 
we have to keep coming back to this because as I'm talking this, uh, this sermon, we're going to be talking about four different, um, uh, four different things. If there's ever a question, well, how, you know, how do I do that better? Or, wow, where does that come from? We have to keep remembering it's our relationship with God. It's, our, it's all about our relationship with God. Okay? So let's look at uh, this uh, section of Scripture in Matthew. And I want to see three, four things. They all start with S. <laughs> Because I just felt like it. Uh, S was my letter of the day. It's kind of like, what is that? Uh, Sesame Street. Yeah, Sesame Street. Uh, It starts with S. The first thing is the situation. What's the situation? Jesus is coming here. He's he's, he's on the Mount of Olives and he's giving a sermon, uh, which went way longer than my sermons, by the way. So if you think mine are long, I'm just, hey, I'm just saying Jesus has went longer than mine do. But uh, he's, he's talking uh, about you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, the situation Jesus is painting here, the first thing I want us to see, which we've been talking about for weeks, is the two kingdoms. There are two kingdoms. One is light and one is darkness. They're that defined, okay? And like we've been saying before, they're at war with each other. The kingdom of heaven throughout scripture is defined as a kingdom of light. The kingdom of the world is defined by scripture very many times as a kingdom of darkness. Okay, two kingdoms. One is light, one is darkness. What uh, uh, the, the kingdom of light models itself in the Beatitudes. The kingdom of light, if you want to know how much damage am I doing to the kingdom of darkness, we don't do it by how many people am I berating or how many petitions did I sign. We do it by how poor in spirit am I? How much do I mourn over my sin and mourn over uh, uh, other people's uh, deficiencies? How meek am I? How merciful am I? How, How much of a peacemaker am I? That defines how much we're in the kingdom of light. Okay? If not, that light gets hidden and we begin to be, uh, operate in the kingdom of darkness. Now, we don't lose our salvation and it's a, uh, you know, a, um, uh, you know, boy, gee, today I was part of the kingdom of darkness. I better do something to get back into the light one, you know, jump up there if I can. No, God's mercy uh, 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 takes care of that. But we have these two kingdoms. John uh, 1, 4 says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Do you see the, you see the problem here? Two kingdoms, one is light, one is darkness. The darkness does not understand it. Colossians 1, 12 says this, Giving thanks to the, to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. God is qualified to do that through Jesus. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the situation. A kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness. We want to be in the kingdom of light with relationship with God. That's the situation. The other part of the situation is that if you know Jesus, you are salt and light. You are salt and light. It says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. There's no way around it. It's not like, boy, if I could just be a better light or whatever. You're it. You and I are it. We are the X factor. We're Christ in the world right now. How we live our life is the very kingdom of God. 
It's kind of scary, isn't it? I mean, think about it. This is the situation. This is the way God ha- uh, has it. If you were to break down that, 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 that sentence, you are the salt of the earth, the, the pronoun there is emphatic. If you wanted to really say it literally, word for word, it would be the only light of the world is you. That's how you'd say it. The only salt of the earth is you. Wow. I don't know about you, but if that's the situation, that's kind of scary to me. I'm it? Well, yes, but remember, we go back. God is our source. It's not just me. It's as I let my life unfold and just shine his light. Okay? Um, 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 puts it this way. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. We are sons of light and sons of the day. This is it. The only light of the world is you and me. The only salt of the earth is us. Philippians 2, 14 says this. I love how practical Paul is because Paul goes to something very, very specific here. He says, do everything without complaining or arguing. Ah, that's lame. Why did he say that? Do everything without complaining or arguing. Like everything, everything, Paul? Like, because there's some things I can complain about. Seriously, if you're at Starbucks and you're in line, right? And you just want your coffee for the morning. What's the big deal? They make coffee, right? It's not rocket science. And the person behind the counter is chatting with the person in front of you thus not allowing you to get to the liquid gold when you want to, that's worth complaining about, isn't it? I mean, come on. It's a coffee shop. I want my coffee. Everything. Ah, traffic, everything. Why? Why? Because here's the situation, okay? So that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. And those are harsh words too. So we don't complain or argue. Why? So that we may be blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. Listen. In which you shine like stars in the universe. In which you're the X factor. In which you put Christ into Christmas. Do everything without complaining or arguing because the only light of the world is you and I. That's what it means. That's the situation. Two kingdoms, light and darkness, we happen to be the light. That's the situation. So, Ephesians 5.8, here it is. It says it plain and simple, and then we'll go to our next point. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. That's the situation. You were once darkness, now you are light. Now the very next sentence in that section of Scripture is our strategy. This is the strategy that God has designed. You were once darkness, but now you're light. Live as children of light. That's the strategy. For some reason, Jesus came to earth, provided a way for us to have relationship with God, and then said, Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, and you guys are going to be my representatives until I return. That's the strategy. Live as children of light. And then in verse 13, let me make sure. Yeah, good. So that's, that's it. You were once in darkness, 
But now you are light in the Lord. That's the situation. Live as children of light. That's the strategy. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. That is a really tough situation to be put in, that we actually have a responsibility. Isn't it much nicer to just... Wouldn't it be cool if we could just be saved and then kind of like just lie down and eat grapes and have no responsibility at all? We made it into the kingdom. There are some weeks that's exactly how I live my life. But I have a responsibility. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4, 5, part of the strategy. Now, uh, on, your, on your questions on the back, if you do go through these questions in your small group, uh, we're going to be spending, as, you'll go th- as we go through the sermon, you'll see we spend a lot of time in the 2 Corinthians chapter 4 section. I have them all spread out all over the place, but just keep that in the back of your mind that this week, as you study the word, this might be a good place to be in this week. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, there's some great stuff in there. This is what it says in verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. See the idea here? Paul's saying, Jesus is the source. We just preach him. We just light up with him. Our relationship with him just lights us up, right? For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's God's strategy. The strategy is that God would have such a transformational impact on your life that you just shine him. That's that's the strategy. For some reason, God has purposed me that I would have this relationship with him and that it would so transform me, so change me, that I would be once darkness, but now I'm light. That's the strategy. We talk about two things here. One is salt, and part of our strategy, what what, uh, Jesus says here in Matthew is, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And so there's a, I'm sure you guys have heard this preached on before, there's like six different characteristics of salt that people preach on, you know, it's pure and we're pure and uh, it stings the wound and so we should... Uh, sting people with our, uh, you know, with the truth. And if it stings, too bad, you know, and it's for their own good. Uh, there's uh, all these different things. But what I want to talk about is the primary purpose what, for what salt was used at the time Jesus was saying this. When Jesus was saying this, salt was a big deal. The Roman soldiers got paid partially with salt. That was part of their wage. Uh, as a matter of fact, I can't remember exactly what it was, but we get our word salary from the Greek word salarium, which is salt payment or something like that. I don't know. I can't remember what it was. I read it and went, wow, that's fantastically interesting. Uh, So much so, I don't remember. But that's where we get salary from. To the Greeks, salt was divine. It was a divine commodity. To me, on chips, salt is divine. But that's an entirely different thing. But the primary purpose of salt was to postpone decay. Were to be salt to postpone decay. You say, now what's that all about? Well, the idea is, back then, meat had no refrigeration. And so what you'd do is you'd take the salt and you'd rub it into the meat, and then that would cure the meat and would allow it to not uh, get all sorts of disease and decay. That is exactly the word picture of how we are to be in the world today. 
We are to get rubbed into the world so that when we go into a situation in our work, our speech, everything prevents decay. Without Christ, things tend to just decay. There's no check. There's no spirit of God. Our job is to go in and to prevent decay. In our homes, believers, we should be the ones with the, uh, being the peacemakers, being the meek, being the merciful. At our jobs, we're not the ones talking behind the boss's back. We're not the ones going, yeah, this is totally unfair. We go in and we have a curing agent called the Holy Spirit. And this, is, this, is all, this takes place, remember we were talking about the peacemakers and we talked about four different types of peace, four different types of shalom. One of the ways where, uh, uh, where um, the salt to the earth, this curing agent, is to take care of the poor. If not us, who? And I was so proud of you guys. Last week we took an offering for our Good Sam uh, fund. We raised $1,200 in that one offering. Uh, there's going to be 60 kids in our... Yes, absolutely, absolutely. It's very, very cool. There's going to be 60 kids in our community that get a Christmas this year because of that money. That's part of our curing agent. That's part of uh, the way we, 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 we shine the light of Jesus, but we also prevent this decay. We go into the world and we do that. And um, yeah, it's, it's really awesome. The thing is, salt has to be in contact with the meat for it to make any difference. See, church, the, the worst thing about church would be if we just came in and we were just a big salt pile. <laughs> just come in here and, dip, oh, that's a wonderful salt pile. When I was uh, working um, uh, in, in my other job before this one, uh, we, one of our clients was Morton Salt. And uh, we would import all the salt from Mexico uh, on container ships. They'd be brought into the U.S. to be refined. And so it, there would be these mass, they'd just have massive piles of salt on the docks. Well, what good is that? It's no good until it becomes refined and then it's used. I would, it would kill me to think that uh, our church would become a big pile of salt. <laughs> Isn't that what, uh, that's what, what's her name became? A pillar of salt, right? Because she looked back. Bad, that's bad. I Lot's wife. What, did she have a name or was she just Lot's wife? That's cold. They didn't give her a name. Oh, anyway. Second thing. Yeah, salty? Good, yeah. All right. Shh. Okay. Not only are we to be salt to prevent decay, we're to be light to penetrate the darkness. Light to penetrate the darkness. So we're salt in an invisible sense where we enter into situations and we are to be those followers of Jesus Christ who are shining our lights, who are salt. We're supposed to be preventing decay of these situations. Peacemakers, merciful, meek. But we're also supposed to shine like stars in the universe. So we're supposed to be invisible. When salt gets rubbed into the meat, it's invisible. But we're also to shine. We're a light to the world. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That's a pretty cool thing to be called. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Fantastic. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. See, once we come out of the darkness, it's our job to go, oh, man. 
Exactly like what Doug was doing. Here's what my life was like before. Here's what it's like with Jesus. And believe me, in talking to Doug, it's not just being sober. God has completely transformed his life in all sorts of areas. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be drugs. It could be anything. Pride. God just breaks it. You go, oh, my chains are gone. This is awesome. That's a light. Look what he's done. I'm not this way anymore. I used to lie. That was my thing. I used to lie. I used to make up stories. You guys are like, yeah, I know. You guys are looking at me like, so when did this stop? It was like a couple months ago. The Lord just, all those sermons before that, just complete fabrication. No, no. No, once, when I got to college, the Lord broke me of that. And it's awesome to be free from that. It's fantastic. We declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Your light, your testimony, how you act should be out there in the open. That's the strategy. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. See, some of us feel like, well, I don't, really, I don't really have all the answers. I really shouldn't be the one saying what happened. You know, it's kind of my faith is kind of personal. You know, I don't really know what to say. You know, God has made you competent. There are people through your simplified, you know, I just, I don't know what to say. All I say is this, that you're going to reach that the Ph.D. seminary college guy isn't going to be able to reach those people. He's made you competent. You are competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. That's the, that's the, uh, that's the strategy. Now listen, remember 2 Corinthians 4. Here we are again. Therefore, he's, remember he's made us competent for this ministry to declare our faith. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor uh, do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, here's what we do. This is our light. By setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. The truth plainly. Here was my life. Here's what God did. It doesn't have to have bells and whistles. And I remember one time in high school... We had this guy come up. I went to a Christian high school with Lisa. That's where we met. In Spanish class, which is why I do not know any Spanish right now. It was a little sidetracked. Uh, but uh, we had this guy come, and I remember he was sharing his testimony about drugs and women and all this kind of stuff. And I remember sitting in there going, I wish I had a testimony like that. What? I, I wish I was in bondage to all sorts of stuff so that when I shared it, it was this like big, great story. It doesn't have to be a big, great story. Share the truth plainly. This is what God's doing. These are my struggles. This is what's going on. We're just shining the light of Jesus. That's it. So what happens? What's the problem? If, you have, if the situation is that there's two kingdoms and we're light and the strategy is that all we do is live as children of light, what's the problem? Well, the problem, if you look at this, on, uh, back in verse 2, on the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That's the strategy. Very next verse. Let's see what I got. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, this is the struggle. 
Go ahead, one more there. Yeah, well, well, listen to this. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. If there's two kingdoms and we're the light and by being light we do damage, what's the problem? Well, there's a struggle. There's a struggle. That's the problem. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. We have a well-prepared foe. I don't mean to get all mystical and weird that there's Satan and Jesus and they're battling it out. But that is the truth as plain as I can say it. Satan does not want you to succeed in being a good light. Period. In doing so, you're doing damage to his kingdom. We talked last week about me breaking my brother's models. My brother did not want me to be good at at, uh, getting into his room. Why? Because I bust up his models. Satan is the same way. It says in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So Satan masks, he covers himself up and says, no, 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 that's not the light. Look at this, this good stuff here. Isn't this good what we're doing here? And it it takes the focus away from Jesus, which is the plain truth. We have a well-prepared foe. Second thing is we forfeit our influence. It says if this, what are you going to do if you're salt and you lose your saltiness? What good is that? Luke says it this way. This one, this is even more brutal. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. (laughs) It is thrown out. Salt can have a tremendously awesome influence on what it flavors. Sometimes it gets a little too salty. I think I told that story. My wife is the most best cook in the whole world, but when we first got married... Um, uh, the, the crock pot, I, I imagine was a foreign object that needed some manipulation. Uh, and there was too much salt in this one stew. And so we had gone to church and I was looking forward to this stew all day. And then I took a bite of the meat and I was like, Oh, that's great, honey. Oh man, I love it. You know, it was just like way too salty. That's not what Paul's, uh, what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about it being bland, it losing its influence. And what's it good for? It says, it's fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It can't even be thrown in with the manure pile. Why? Because if you were to put the salt in the earth or in the manure, it kills the crops. That's what happens. And so we forfeit this influence when we, when we start to make um, choices that aren't Salty choices start to water it down. We get uh, tasteless. Gary uh, Helmers brought in uh, some burritos uh, to work yesterday, and they were on two different trays. One tray said A, and one tray said B. And it was a taste test, which, by the way, I highly uh, encourage you to anytime you would like a taste test of a burrito or something like that you may bring it to the office and as your humble servant I will consume the burritos so there was there was there was burrito a and I tasted that one and you could taste the tortilla and you could taste the meat um, and no offense to Gary but it was kind of bland it was just kind of bland 
And then we got to Burrito B. Oh, yeah, that was, the, that was the good one. You tasted it, and you could taste the chili pepper in there, and it, was, it just accented everything perfectly. It was awesome. Now, there was a, the exact amount of chili in each burrito, but one was a different kind. And so it, it, made, it made no impact. It had no influence. The next one, same amount of chili, but it was, it was packed with flavor. That's how we want to be as Christ. We don't, as Christians, we don't want to lose our influence. One of the ways we do that, we get fearful. It says anyone who has a light, you don't put it under a, a, a bushel. You don't put it under a, a, cover it up. Sometimes we get a little nervous. What is someone going to think about that if I say, yeah, I follow Jesus? Are they going to think I'm some right-wing fundamentalist that wants to, you know, what are they going to think? Are they going to think I'm, I need it for a crutch? I, I want, how do I... We just speak the truth plainly. We don't need to be worried about what anyone thinks. The Lord takes care of all that. We lose our focus. We lose our focus. Our focus is to be salt. That's our influence. It's to be light. Now, sometimes what happens is, as the meat is decaying, we think we'll just be an example of really good meat. That'll stop the decay. So we go into the world, and there's really no difference. We look kind of like everybody else. We do everything everybody else does it. But we do it in a way that just really looks good. And then the other meat will look and go, wow, I'm decaying. You're not decaying. That's fantastic. It doesn't work that way. We weren't designed to be meat. We were designed to be salt. And so we lose that focus of being people whose lives are transformed and we are boldly say this is what it is this is how i act my actions are completely different one of the verses we use for marriage all the time that you know if we were talking to the youth and they had a girlfriend or boyfriend and they said pastor john you know that my girlfriend isn't a christian can i you know still date her i would use this verse but this verse is used a lot but it doesn't it let me explain it. Second Corinthians six fourteen. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? That word yoke is a it's a wooden kind of thing that goes like this, and you have an ox in one, and you have an ox in the other, and they get they get locked into that thing. And basically, what this is saying is, don't get in, locked into relationships with unbelievers because you can't those oxen. If one wants to go this way and one wants to go this way, nothing happens. So if you're dating someone who isn't a Christian, they're going to want to go one way and you're going to want to go the other. And it, it turns out to be a, a, a big pain in the neck. Same with getting married. I would say mar- don't get married to an, a non-believer. Why? Because they're so evil? No, because they're going to buy because we're operating in different kingdoms. You're going to go separate ways. Same thing with business transactions. You know, we go into business. We sign a contract. Uh, um, and start a partnership with a non-believer. And all of a sudden he comes in and says, oh man, we scored this great account. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I had to tell him that, you know, uh, you grew up in Nebraska because he was from Nebraska, but uh, we got the account anyway. So you got to tell him you grew up in Nebraska or whatever. You know? I, this is all just coming off the top of my head. All right? But it's an example of two things. And you go, wait a second. We can lose our focus we get focused on something else and we get into these partnerships and they don't work. But 1 Corinthians 9.26, Paul says it perfectly this way. He says this, Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. 
I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, after I've been salt and been light, I myself will not be disqualified. I won't lose my saltiness. My light won't get covered up. I don't lose my focus. I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I buffet my body and make it my slave. So there's this idea that, man, now that I've been rescued from the chains, why would I put them back on again? Why, why, would, I, why would I go back? I need to make my body my slave. And that sounds kind of harsh. Listen, the preservation of the world and the darkness depends on it. The only salt of the earth is us. The only light of the world is us. We have to buffet our, our uh, discipline our bodies and make them our slaves. The world depends on it. And so when we talk about Christmas time and Merry Xmas, every time you see that now, go, I'm going to be the Christ in this situation. This is the season. This is it. Where people are open to what God's doing. And so we got to get serious about it. Again, not in a way like a guilt trip or anything, but it's serious stuff. So lastly, it brings us to the substance. We have the, uh, the situation and the strategy and the struggle, and now there's the substance. Well, why, what, what is all this about? I mean, why, why are you talking about all this stuff? Well, it says here, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do you light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, you put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, verse 16, here it is. This is the substance. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Not only is God the source, but God's the reason why we do that. To bring him glory. Now we're going to go back again to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 through 10. It's a lo- lo- little longer section of scripture, so I don't want us to get to lose it here. But listen to this. This is the substance. For God, who said, light shall shine out of the darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now listen. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. This is the struggle I'm talking about. We're just humans for crying out loud. So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Remember, God is the source. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. We literally become Christ to those around us. If we want more Christ in Christmas, it comes down to me. How Christ is going to be manifested in my body. I'm so passionate about this, I'm going to read it again. For God who said, light shall shine out of the darkness. This is what I want you to do this week. Go back over this again. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 
is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God, of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus. What an awesome word picture there so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. That's the substance. For some reason, God has set up a strategy that we would be so radically transformed by what God has done in our lives that people would look and go, how in the world does that person have so much peace? I know that guy. He's just like anyone else. It must be God. How can you have someone who was addicted to drugs for years and years and years and years and years and then clean for five years? It must be God. How can you have someone who's been bitter with their parents? Their parents hurt them. And years and years and years, and then one day, the bitterness is gone. That's got to be God. How can you have a marriage that was just struggling forever and all of a sudden there's transformation? It's got to be God. We're earthen vessels. It all points to the glory of God. We carry around in our body the dying of Jesus so that people will actually see Christ manifested in us. We are in all. We are in all.